welcome back to Seven Skills for the Future podcast series two. This is the podcast that helps you to be in the driving seat of your own life, developing these great seven skills, empathy, adaptability, critical thinking, integrity, optimism, being proactive and resilience, and really helping you to use those skills every single day to just live a happier life, do work you love, and really enjoy everything about life. I am so delighted today to be welcoming Stuart Goldsmith to the podcast. Stuart is a stand-up comedian. He's the host of the Comedians Comedian podcast with over 10 million downloads. And I'm really interested in talking to Stuart more, particularly about resilience. So Stuart, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me. And it's a, it's a very refreshing change to be interviewed not on a comedy podcast. So I will, try, <laughs> I, I will make no promises to be funny. I'm going to quite relish uh, the ability to talk seriously about, uh, about the job. Stuart, could you start by just by telling our listeners about what you do and, and your life as a, as a stand-up comedian? Certainly can. I have been a comic for 13 years and I am in that bracket of comedians who are uh, successful enough to be full-time professionals traveling all over the country and all over the world, um, but who do not have to cope with being famous. So I really feel like I've won <laughs> in that respect. Yeah, I'm a performer. I've sort of won awards all over the place if, you, if those sorts of things are, are of interest. Um, and I also interview my fellow comedians. I, I do this podcast, as you mentioned, in which I have, well, I've been doing that for about seven years and I have spoken to over 280 comics in depth about their creative lives. It started off being a, a podcast about how do you write your material and very quickly turned into how have you developed creatively what are your preconceptions? What were your plans for your success? How have they worked out? How have they changed? And then has metamorphosed again into being about how people cope with being alive. Ah, oh, great. Sounds, sounds fantastic. Yeah, thank you. I mean, when I think of stand-up comedy, I, I, it's, it, I have to say, just it, it fills me with a slight sense of dread. And I'm not even, <laughs> you know, I, I don't even do comedy. So what is that all about? Yeah, well, I think, that, I think that's true. I have certainly had uh, people in the military tell me that I'm brave, which is a really peculiar sort of thing to be on the receiving end of. Certainly starting performing stand-up comedy was very, very difficult. And I put it off for years. I wanted to do it for years before I mustered the courage to do it. Keeping going, is once you've done 25 gigs, is a lot less hard than starting. So, the, But I think what, the reason that people find it so frightening is that you're, you're putting your dignity on the line, and that's incredibly important to people, even more so sometimes than their lives or their health. The idea of losing dignity or risking being sort of publicly attacked or shamed in front of an audience or simply standing on a stage. Not, a lot of people are very scared of public speaking without even the, the additional sort of element that you have to be constantly 
funny or consistently funny. So yeah, it, it fills a lot of people with dread, which is good for me because if more people start doing it, then there's less work for me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be someone who, now listen, I'm not going to jump out of a plane anytime soon. There are things in life that fill me with dread. Yeah. And stand up used to scare me, but I I made myself do it anyway, and have learned both through my own experience and from talking to the guests on my podcast ways to manage that fear and to oh. suppress it, to overcome it, and sometimes to actually inhabit it and to make it work for us. Can you tell us a bit more about that? How how do you make that work for you? There's so much to talk about. So I suppose. Managing fear immediately. You, I always tell people, if someone says to me, I want to start doing stand-up comedy, my advice is always the same. Immediately put something in the diary. Ring a comedy club, get in touch, email or Facebook or some sort of organization and say, do you do open mics or open spots? This is an unpaid work that you can expect to be doing for several years before anyone starts to pay you yeah at your own travel expense as well and that's you know the early lives of a comedian are sometimes very torturous very difficult but immediately get something in the diary because you won't do it you won't ever do it if you're Mm. planning to do it and you know wait till you've written a bunch of jokes that'll never happen so get something in the diary feel terrified for ages well because it won't be for months and then probably down to the very night before that commitment that's when you'll be spurred onto writing some sort of version of a joke, some kind of material, and then getting on stage and doing it. That, I think, is the best advice to start because that fear of failure and that fear of a loss of dignity is so immense. Once you've done it, I would then say to someone, don't judge it on your first go because comedy is full of people who were brilliant the first time. And there's, there's very often, there's, there's a real track that a lot of comics go on. You are you're funny for your first gig or your first two gigs, your first three gigs. At some point, often very early on, you become overconfident. You think, hey, this is easy slash I'm a genius. And then you walk on and you experience your first comedy death. And that's when you get to find out what that is really like. Now, no one wants that to happen ever again. It's awful to watch. It's horrific to experience. But if you plan to be a full-time professional comedian, there are more of them out there waiting for you. So the sooner you get used to them, the better. What I would say to someone is, is book in a gig, do it. And then almost before you've done it, book in 10 gigs. If you can, if you're serious about it, like do one just to see what it's like, because you might never want to do it. There's no point doing the admin of booking if you're never going to want to repeat it. But don't judge how it went until you've done 10. Interesting. I mean, I'm sure that applies to lots of other things we do in life as well. You know, that commitment, you know, book it in, make that commitment and then work towards it or, or wait until just before and absolutely another common way of starting is to be at a comedy club where they say does anyone want to have a go and people that's like the opposite you have you get pushed into <laughs> it you just jump into it in the moment with no plans they're both ways of managing or mitigating the fear of the impending event how important would you say resilience is for you as as, as a skill because that's one of our one of the seven skills and it's a skill that we believe people can actually learn and develop how important resilience i would say it is the defining characteristic of all comedians uh you will certainly be aware given given that sense of humor is subjective and that you'll be aware of comedians who you think how on earth is that person successful how are they famous how have they got anywhere i don't find them funny at all (laughs) whether someone is funny is a subjective thing based on the viewer um but the the thing that we definitely all have in common is that we are resilient we are tenacious enough to have a terrible gig, to have a terrible time, mm. and at a certain amount of time afterwards, often not immediately, but probably by the next morning, if not sooner, we'll be thinking, I think I know what I did wrong. Let me back up there. 
I can fix this. I can do it better. I know I can. Yeah. And and managing to harness that instinct in order to drive ahead and put yourself into those situations, into into the the Italians uh, have a clowning expression in the mouth of the wolf. I think it's um, uh, dentro bocca di lupo. And that's that's what it's like being on stage. The mouth of the wolf, the jaws could snap shut any time. To yes. keep putting yourself into that experience relies upon a certain amount of resilience. And also, and this is really key, it cultivates that resilience. So you gradually cultivate and hone the ability to put yourself in situations of not grave personal danger, but grave emotional danger, situations that would make the average person run a mile. And I imagine that from what you were saying earlier on, it comes from a very strong drive. I mean, you said that, you know, for a long time you wanted to do stand-up comedy, but you didn't. But obviously there's a strong desire to do it. Yes. And funnily enough, what I did was I did everything I possibly could that was nearly stand-up comedy, but wasn't quite. So I became a street performer when I was 16 years old. I started doing street shows in Stratford-upon-Avon near where I lived. And then a few years later, I was going up to the Edinburgh Festival every year doing professional standard street shows in a double act with a friend of mine. The sorts of shows that you then uh, that you would see in Covent Garden, if you're familiar with that sort of thing. So not walk by busking, but like gathering a crowd of two or three hundred people doing a 40 minute show and then passing the hat at the end. So I did that the whole time I was doing that. I knew really I wanted to be a stand up comedian, but I considered that too scary. Now, in retrospect, Street performing was enormously frightening and difficult, but the the rewards and the buzz from doing it and the the feeling of heroism for having attempted the impossible and sometimes achieved it was so addictive and so exciting that it, it really engaged me for, for a long time until eventually I reached a point where I thought, well, I love this, but I feel like it's taught me all it's going to teach me. Actually, I've got to do the the thing. I, you know, I've got to try one stand up gig at least once. And as soon as I did that first one, I went, "Oh, thank God, I found my thing." Yeah, gosh. And I, I did. I did say earlier on as well. I just wanted to sort of um, pick up on a, a thing I said a moment ago about. I said it's situations. Stand up is a situation that would make the average person run a mile. I'm not for a minute suggesting that stand up comics are anything other than average people. We really are. We really are normal people who just are fascinated or excited enough about this, this, this experience that we jump into it. Anyone can become a stand-up comedian. And that's a contentious point of view that is not shared by all stand-up comedians. But I'm not saying that you could definitely be good or definitely be anyone's cup of tea, but anyone could get 100 gigs under their belt. I mean, just listening to you, it seems to me that you do have to at the very beginning anyway you are dealing with rejection you're dealing with situations which are really uncomfortable and then as you say it gets easier as you go along that to me is the case for lots of things that perhaps we're afraid of doing absolutely we need to get used to failing or we need to get used to just experiencing those rejections and moving on don't we Absolutely. Even the most famous comedians you can imagine, from Michael McIntyre to Jack Whitehall, the people who perform in arenas all over the country to tens of thousands of people at a time, before they can bring the material to those situations, they need to create a safe environment within which to fail. Because stand-up comedy is a very iterative process. It's all about trying a joke. You, you write the joke and then you get it on its feet in front of an audience and then you see if it works and you constantly tailor it and tailor it. Even until the end of your tour, you're still working on it and tweaking it every single time. Because in a two-hour show, everything you say, every breath will be different. It's never a carbon copy. So in order to create material that will make 10,000 people laugh all together at the same time, it's a, you need to take 
a series of risks. You need to have an environment such as a smaller club in which you're playing to an audience who don't know you. That's the dream of every big name stand-up comedian is to have a little club they can go to where they won't be famous so they can pressure test their material in a real environment without a bunch of their fans in the room just liking and lapping up everything they say because that won't teach them anything about the quality of that material or the quality of their performance. Yeah. So creating the conditions in which to fail is really, really important. Mm. I, I, I really love that whole idea of creating a safe space to fail safely. Mm. I, I think that's something we don't do enough of generally. Yes, I think so. And I think the other way that it pertains to stand-up comedy is that you have to be vulnerable. Mm. Um, I think there are certain comedians who are not, to, to my taste particularly, who have an almost robotic invulnerability to them um, machine gunning out loads of jokes yeah I want to see because it is art and I recognize this is subjective but I want to see someone have some sort of vulnerability now every comedian feels vulnerable in the moment of the performance you're you're both the most powerful and the most vulnerable person in the room but learning to expose something of your real self to to take a risk not just in terms of is this funny but is this relatable and to take a risk with your your inner life, your inner monologue, that's the kind of work that particularly excites me. So actually creating the circumstances under which you can be vulnerable as well as powerful, I think is also really important. You talked at the, at the beginning about strategies that you use to help you on stage. Um, yes. What are some other ideas maybe for helping to bounce back from, from rejection? Sure. I think it's sort of divided by time, really. There's the strategies that I would use on stage in the moment when I can feel things are going south. Yeah. And then there's the strategies that I would use in the the hour afterwards to keep my head in the game if I've maybe got to go to another gig. And then there's the strategies that I would use for the, the uh, following weeks and months. So to very quickly look at each of those in turn, on stage, some of the things I would do are I have to rely on my experience. I have to remind myself to be confident. I have to change tack to change what I'm doing. I might, I might make a different selection than the material I was planning to do in order to re- return to a place of comfort. It's very important to me when I'm on stage that I'm enjoying myself. I think an audience can really read, they can smell yes. whether or not you're enjoying yourself. So I need to put myself in a playful spirit when things are going wrong. That can be very hard. One of the things I will often do is rely on a particular skill set of mine, which is that I'm good at talking to audiences. I'm good at improvising with crowds. Mm. Mm. So if things are really struggling, um, if I've sort of failed to make a connection with the audience, I'll ditch the material. I'll put that on pause and dive in and do crowd work. I think that's a fairly common strategy in the hope that that will be a playful, fun environment. It'll stimulate me. The audience will see me take some risks, overreach, and maybe they will respect the work I'm doing in a different way. Maybe it will kind of build uh, a relationship with that audience where where the relationship is problematic. So, and, and even in doing that, there are other sorts of things like because of my my street performing past, there is a particular thing I do with my feet. There's a particular posture I have. If I'm struggling, I'll drop my left foot back into a sort of like the the, the slightest suggestion of a crouch. So still standing, but just a kind of a slightly more physically involved. Uh, space because that makes me it reminds me that there is a a very live thing happening it reminds me of a sort of um i don't know it's almost like a fight or flight kind of mode um so so i'll do that then if i have then managed to get the audience back on back on side 
then I'll need to remember to stop doing that. <laughs> I'll need to remember to be loose and to be gentle. So I'll, I'll smash my way to a laugh. And then once I've got a laugh, then I'll need to remember to change the pace and not tighten up and, and kind of flow within the work. So those are some of the sorts of things that I would do on stage. I suppose it, immediately afterwards, I would try to... I would try to recover. I would try to physically look at my breathing. I would try to do something physical to kind of walk it off, to kind of shake myself out of a, a tough gig if it had ended badly. And I would try to gig again as soon as possible Yeah. to get back on the horse as soon as possible. And I would probably make use of the comedy community. I would probably ring a friend who is a comedian who will understand. I, you know, it's one thing to ring your partner, who my partner isn't a comic, and say, oh, I had a tough gig. I probably won't do that in the moment because actually I need to know that someone else who understands it from my point of view appreciates, can appreciate it and I can, I can blame the audience for a little while at least and ideally not for, not for too long but certainly in the moment I can sort of in, engage emotion to kind of think to myself, oh, that was their fault, they were awful, knowing that the next day I'll be able to reassess that and take responsibility for it. And then looking forward much sort of further after that, I will try to assess what went wrong and how I could improve it next time. I think one of the things that can go wrong is if you're heckled, if someone shouts something out and often, you know, I'm good now at dealing with those things. I think in the moment, if someone, if it's spoiled the enjoyment for me because someone's heckled, I've dealt with it and then I've finished the show and successfully, but then afterwards I'm kind of ruminating on that thing and that annoyed me because mm. it was actually was going well and there was no need to say that. I will try, and this isn't easy, I will try to see the feedback that is buried within the heckle. I think every heckle is sort of an envelope of negativity and emotion, but the contents are often quite a useful piece of feedback. That is hard. It's hard to do. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I love what you're saying because, because you're talking about being in the moment, so being able to handle yourself well in the moment, but then everything else you're talking about is about reflecting, learning, looking after yourself, making sure you've got people around you that you can that you can talk to that you can share with yes I think so much of what you're saying links with resilience and building up resilience yes. for all kinds of things that we might have to deal with in life it's easy to kind of blame circumstances or to look back on something and not be willing to maybe assess our role or what we were doing or, or as you say the, the the feedback or the heckling and the nuggets that might be in that that you can use absolutely one i i think if it's a, if a comic is newer by which i mean if they're in their first seven years or so of doing comedy yeah i would still regard someone as new for that long frustratingly yeah. <laughs> um, wow. from, from my yeah. privileged from my privileged position of having been in the game for double that there are people who've been going twice as long as me and um, who i'm sure would consider me new i think if someone is newer I would say to them, listen, it's never the fault of the audience. It's never the fault of the audience because it's important that that is your base premise. If someone is a bit longer in the tooth, I would accept that, I mean, sometimes it is just them. <laughs> you know, sometimes sometimes gigs are unplayable. Sometimes the environment, the architecture, the people, the, the connection between you and the people in the room, sometimes they are unplayable. But there's no sense thinking about that as you are learning to become a comedian. That's, a, that's an indulgence that I think you are allowed to think once you've put in you put in the stage time another thing that's that's just occurred to me listening to you is is the importance of perseverance because i think we can tend to give up quite quickly generally if we get rejected a few times or we have a few setbacks or as you were saying earlier things go well but then there's a setback we can easily give up at that point can't we absolutely i think some of the very best comedians are the people who have the best relationship with failure 
and the best relationship with trying again mm. because you really won't overreach yourself and reach the heights that you can reach as a comedian if you are not prepared to stand there in front of an audience and die and bomb. The Americans call it bombing. The, the better you are with bombing, the more comfortable you are with bombing, the more risks you can take, the more you can overreach, the, the, the greater you can sort of transcend. Yeah. And I think that applies to everything in life. I mean, listeners, whatever you're trying to achieve or whatever you're wanting, this is the way to do it. It's, I think, failing, learning, getting up again and getting to that point where you are overreaching and you're tapping into that potential. You're tapping into that gold. Yes, because when you do reach that, when you get just a taste of that and in comedy terms, when you get when you improvise, you take a risk, you get a big laugh. Or, or you, you, there's something you thought of that day that you made a quick note of, and then you try saying that on stage at a new material gig, and that gets a laugh. That feeling is ecstatic. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an extraordinary feeling. And one of the most um, comforting things or encouraging things about comedy is that those famous comics I mentioned before, the best part of their day is that moment when they came up with a a thing in the car on the way to the arena. <laughs> you know, they came up with an idea yeah. and they just tried it. They just tried it just to see. And, and it was funny and they were right and everyone laughs, Whether whatever the size of the room is. One of the, the fabulous things about comedy is I get to experience that even if it's in a room to 30 or 300 people. It, you know, it doesn't matter. The scale is sort of immaterial. Yeah. The, that moment is as much mine as it is the most famous comics you could think of. Well, how can our listeners find out more about you and about your podcast? Oh, uh, thank you. In all sorts of ways. If you're a podcast listener, you can go to Comedians Comedian. Uh, you can search that within your, your pod app. Uh, and uh, download all of my episodes. You can go to comedianscomedian.com if you want to go to the, the website and you can find out there all about the tour. If you're in the UK, I'm doing a stand-up tour at the moment all over the country and I have a special on YouTube as well. And um, If you're a business person and you would like to hear more about resilience, then I'm actually doing some presentations about what the greatest comics in the world can teach your business about resilience. And um, So feel free to get in touch with me via the website at comedianscomedian.com and I can talk to you for an hour or so about um, uh, exactly, well, I can expand upon the things I've talked about here, and I can also tell you about the huge mistake I made as I walked on stage to do a 15-minute set at Wembley Arena and how I coped with that. That's great. Thank you so much, Stuart. I've really enjoyed talking to you and really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the seven skills for the future podcast there are all sorts of things you can do to boost each of the seven skills if you want more ideas you can buy the book seven skills for the future you can also go online to our website unimenta and join as a member and you'll be able to access more resources ideas and free downloads if you have a question you want to ask on these podcasts get in touch through instagram at seven skills for the future or on twitter and facebook at unimenta and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your podcast player of choice. <laughs>